Let's pray as we come to consider God's word. Lord, we come to you now and we see that glimpse of heaven, that door opened into heaven, a vision of heaven. Lord, we pray that you help us to understand, help us to to see what you're saying to us through it. Lord, guide what is said and what is heard. And Lord, speak to us now, we pray. In Jesus' name, Amen. Revelation chapter 4. In our consideration of Revelation, we are now moved past the, the messages to the, the seven churches. And we're now considering the next vision that John has, the next vision that John has been given. The title this evening or this morning is in the series We Shall Overcome. The title is God is Holy, He is in Control and Worthy of Praise. The glimpse that John has into heaven is not something that we normally think of. It's not something that we normally see. It's not something that he normally saw. But it was a glimpse into heaven, a special glimpse, as if the the door was opened. Literally, we're told that a door was opened that he could go in and see. But yet, most of the week, we don't have our minds fixed on the things of heaven like that. During the week, we just see our everyday lives, what's in front of us. And to a very real extent, out of sight, is out of mind. When people are going about their everyday business, they don't see God in front of them. They don't see the vision that John had. They only see what's in front of them, the roads, their workplace, their home, the people around them. Out of sight is out of mind. We don't often think about things that we don't see. During COVID, we've been reminded that there are things that we take for granted. Those who are health workers, the doctors and nurses in the hospitals, those who are involved in cleaning, making sure that things are sanitized. Lab technicians, those keeping the electricity flowing, we just turn on the switch and we assume the electricity will flow. We don't see what goes on behind the scenes to make that happen. We take so many things for granted. Teenagers today, when you ask them where does milk come from, they say Asda. <laughs> they don't connect the comes with a cow from a cow. They don't see the cows. They don't connect that. They only see what is in front of them. And it's the same in many areas of life. When we go to the shops, we only look at what's on the on the rails, the clothes that are on the rails, we don't think how are they made. Until recently, people have investigative journalists have shown that some in some countries there are sweatshops where people have got very bad conditions. But this has to be brought into our vision. We have to see this on our TVs in order to understand, in order to think about it. Out of sight is out of mind. And the same principle applies to heaven too. 
Heaven is so much out of sight in our everyday experience. We don't know what goes on there unless God shares some of that with us. And that's what we have here in Revelation. God shares some of the secrets of heaven with us. He gives us a glimpse of what goes on there in his presence. Here we have a door open into heaven a little bit to see something of what goes on behind the scenes, something of what we normally don't see. The vision John sees spans chapters 4 and 5, but we're just going to focus on the first part of that vision today. Chapter 4. Then, as I looked, I saw a door standing open in heaven, and the same voice I had heard before spoke to me like a trumpet blast. The voice said, Come up here, and I will show you what must happen after this. After this, or after these things, is not really meant to be understood historically or chronologically in terms of time. It's it's really meant to be understood as after the first vision, after the the vision he had for the messages for the seven churches, he now gets a second vision. He saw a door open into heaven and Jesus called him up to have a peek at what's going on behind that door. Come up here and I will show you. And instantly John was taken up in the spirit and saw a throne in heaven and someone sitting on it. If I were to ask you from our reading, what what are the most memorable, what's the most memorable things about this vision that John saw? I wonder what you would say. You might talk about the, the gemstones, Jasper and Carnelian, a rainbow of emerald, 24 elders with white clothes with crowns on their heads, <clears throat> four living creatures, four strange creatures covered with eyes, One like a lion, another like an ox, another like a human face, and another like an eagle. These creatures each had six wings. If that's what we're remembering, we're missing the obvious. We're missing the principal thing about Revelation chapter 4. And that is that John saw a throne on which God sat. God sat on his throne, 24 elders surrounded him on his throne and around the throne were the four living beings and they all worshipped God on the throne saying, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God, the Almighty, the one who always was, who is and who is still to come. The main thing in Revelation chapter 4 is that God is on his throne and he has been worshipped. We might get fixated on the details of who and what is worshipping God, but let's just keep our focus on the fact that God is being worshipped. They're saying, holy, 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 Lord God Almighty. He is worthy of all worship. Out of the 62 times in the New Testament where this Greek word that's translated throne is used. About three quarters of them, 47 times, they're used in Revelation. 47 times there's reference to God's throne in this letter. 
As Leon Morris points out, John is very interested in God's throne. And, and this is, to a large extent, reassuring, because John's readers are very familiar with the, the emperor in Rome, who is not supportive of Christianity. There have been and there will be persecutions of Christians. And to the, to the early church, it appears as though God is not in control. The emperor sitting on his throne in Rome is in control. But what John what is reminded, what Jesus is reminding John is, don't judge things by appearances. God is in control. He is on his throne. He is sovereign. Whatever is happening, he is allowing it. As he brings all things together to work for good in his plan of salvation. And John sees Christ enthroned with the Father. We know that the, the Lord Jesus is now seated at the right, right hand of God the Father on high. And in Revelation chapter 5 we shall see that a little more clearly. He is seen as a lamb that has been killed, sacrificed. It looks as though it has been sacrificed and killed, but yet it's alive. The Lamb of God is risen again, resurrected from the dead. And the vision that John sees is of Christ reigning with the Father, here and now, from the moment he ascended to heaven after his resurrection until until he comes again. He is there. He is reigning. It's not as though... He will reign in the future. But now we're suffering under the the, the reign of evil. God is reigning. Christ is reigning on high. The vision that John sees here applies from Christ's resurrection from around his first coming to his second coming. Christ reigns, God reigns, he is in control, he is on his throne. We see the risen Lord Jesus who is enthroned at the right hand of the Father and who speaks to the seven churches and he continues to speak to us day through his word. Jesus tells John that he is going to show him what must happen The voice said, come up here and I will show you what must happen after this. When Jesus says, I will show you what must happen. What he is saying is, I've got certain things planned. And these things are going to happen. This is the way things are going to happen. As this vision continues on with its its continuation and other visions throughout the 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 letter speaking about what will happen in terms of human history what will happen before Christ comes again and when he comes again but it's not just a case that God is able to see into the future He's, God isn't some clairvoyant who is just able to see somehow some people believe that God is not in control He is not almighty. He is not all-powerful. He might be all-seeing, but he can't determine what happens. 
He simply sees into the future and then predicts it. Well, that's a very poor image of what God is like. That's taking away his power. That's taking away his sovereignty. God doesn't just see into the future and then tell you what's going to happen. While he has no control. God is in control. God makes the future happen. He has allowed the past to happen. He has made it happen. He is sovereign. Jesus said, I will build my church and all the powers of hell will not conquer it. He couldn't say that unless he were in control. He is all-powerful. In a way, we quite can't get our heads around. We make our choices. We're responsible for our actions. And we deserve the what we get from what we do. But yet, God is sovereign in all of that. Human responsibility and God's sovereignty are like two train tracks. History runs on both of these train tracks, but they never quite seem to meet. We can't quite see how the two join together. But we believe both of them. In many places in the Bible, we are told that we are told to do things, and yet God, we are told, will make things happen. But he often uses us and gives us the privilege of making our minds, of making our choices within his plan of salvation. We are not robots, but we actively, we willfully, by his spirit at times, we willfully do his will. At other times we don't do his will. The sovereignty of God, God being in control, is a reassuring teaching. Although there are difficulties, we can't understand sometimes how he could allow so much evil to happen. But then again, we aren't God. We haven't got the mind of God. We can't see the end from the beginning. We just see the here and now. But as many people have often said, life is like a tapestry. And we're just seeing the disconnected threads at the back of the tapestry. And one day God will show us what he's been doing and we will see the big picture, the glorious big picture. His sovereignty might seem difficult to believe at times, but we trust in a good God. He is a good and gracious God. And he will finally have victory over sin and death in in casting the devil and his demons into the lake of fire which was created for them. You are worthy, O Lord our God, to receive glory and honour and power for you created all things and they exist because you created what you pleased. You created what you pleased, what you willed, what you wanted, what you decided. And why did he create all things? We know that God causes everything to work together for the good of those who love God and are called according to his purpose for them. The main thing about Revelation chapter 4 is that God is worshipped because he is worthy, because he is the creator God. He is the all-powerful God. He is the God who is in control. 
of all things. When we come to the details of what John sees, how do we understand them? If we just look at them at face value, we don't know how to interpret them. We don't, we're not told the key to, to what they mean. But as is so often the case in Revelation, if we know our Old Testament, we will be able to see the parallels between what we read here and what is in the Old Testament. Many commentators draw parallels between what John describes here in Revelation 4 and 5 with Daniel's vision in Daniel chapter 7 as well as Ezekiel's vision in Ezekiel chapter 1. And while the vision in Ezekiel 1 has some similarities with Revelation 4 and 5, it is Daniel chapter 7 which is more dominant. One commentator, Beale, compares the visions. And it's helpful to, to just look at some of the things, the comparisons that he makes. He says, The vision John has is so closely related to that of Daniel's vision of the Ancient of Days and Son of Man in Daniel chapter 7 that we must conclude he saw much the same thing, was aware of it and recorded it deliberately with that similarity in mind. Note the following similarities. The prophet looks in Daniel 7, 9, Revelation 4, 1. He sees a throne in heaven with God sitting on it in Daniel 7 and Revelation 4. God's appearance is described in both. There is fire before the throne in both. There are myriads of myriads of heavenly beings surround the throne, Daniel 7 and Revelation 5. Books are opened, Daniel 7, Revelation 5. A divine figure approaches a throne and receives a kingdom which will last forever. The kingdom consists of all peoples, nations and tongues. In both, the prophet experiences distress on account of the vision. The prophet receives wisdom concerning the vision from one of the heavenly beings. Daniel 7.16, Revelation 5.5 The saints are given authority to reign over a kingdom in both, and the vision concludes with mention of God's eternal reign. The vision of Daniel was the vision of the powers at work in the world, but in the end the victory is the Lord's and with his people. The Lord has victory. He reigns and his people reign with him. Let's just look at a couple of extracts from Daniel chapter 7. So I approached one of those standing beside the throne and asked him what it all meant. And he explained it to me like this. These four huge beasts represent four kingdoms that will arise from the earth. But in the end, the holy people of the Most High will be given the kingdom and they will rule forever and ever. Note in Daniel we are given something that we aren't given in Revelation. In Daniel we are given an interpretation. He explained it to me like this. And we go on. Verse 26 in Daniel 7. But then the court will pass judgment and all his power will be taken away and completely destroyed. Talking about the evil one. 
Then the sovereignty, power, and greatness of all the kingdoms under heaven will be given to the holy people of the Most High. His kingdom will last forever, and all rulers will serve and obey him. All rulers will serve and obey him. Daniel chapter 7 gives us a clear message, a clear interpretation. And when Jesus is giving this vision to John and when John is repeating this vision in, in, in this letter, what we are told is that the, the vision in Revelation chapters 4 and 5 so closely parallels that in Daniel 7 that the conclusions of Daniel 7 apply to the vision in Revelation chapter 4. His kingdom will last forever and all rulers will serve and obey him. The sovereignty, power and greatness of all the kingdoms under heaven will be given to the holy people of the Most High. God is in control and we will reign with him. What a wonderful hope What a wonderful message when God's people at the time of Daniel, at the time of those who received the the letter of Revelation, as well as now, may have been living under those who were in political control, those who were in power, who were very much against the gospel message. This is very much a message of hope for those who are in persecuted countries, those who are struggling under ungodly rule that one day all those who are ungodly all those who are doing the work of the the enemy the devil himself will be cast into the lake of fire and God will reign and his people will reign with him the struggles the sufferings under ungodly authority are only temporary so we must persevere knowing what is going to come These are words of encouragement. That's what Daniel 7 and Revelation teach us. That's the big picture. It's probably helpful to to look at some of the details now of Revelation chapter 3 and to try and get some understanding of what these strange words mean to us. The one sitting on the throne was as brilliant as gemstones, like jasper and carnelian. And the glow of an emerald circled his throne like a rainbow. Translators struggle to even translate the words which are in Greek to understand what do they mean? How do you translate them? We struggle to know what the words say, never mind what they mean. But a few things we can conclude. Jasper is mentioned explicitly in Revelation 21 verse 11 as being connected with the glory of God. So there's something of God's glory which is being communicated here. It's the first in the list of 12 stones in Revelation 21. And the idea seems to be that the precious stones mentioned here are to to highlight his glory. The rainbow encircling the throne reminds us of the rainbow that God gave to Noah. After the flood, God had a covenant with Noah, a promise that he made with Noah, that he would never again 
let the world get into such a bad state where he needed it to be wiped out and start again. And by God's common grace, the world has never got as bad as that again. We might think it's bad, but it's not as bad as it could be. It's not as bad as it was. The rainbow in the sky was God's sign that he gave to Noah. When you see the rainbow, remember my covenant. And so the, the rainbow symbolizes God's grace towards us, towards humanity in general. And the rainbow encircling the throne reminds us that God is gracious even in the midst of judgment. As he was gracious at the time of Noah, even in the midst of judgment on the world. And the elders sitting on the 24 thrones around God's throne most likely refers to the Old Testament people of God through the 12 tribes. 12 of them are the 12 tribes represented and the other 12 are the 12 apostles representing the New Testament church. So what the 24 elders around the throne symbolize are the people of God. The Old Testament church through the 12 tribes, 12 elders, the New Testament church, the New Testament people of God, as well as the Old Testament people of God, represented by the 12 apostles. So many things in Revelation are symbolic, imagery to communicate a message. And many commentators have concluded that that these elders represent the universal church of all believers, all God's people down through the ages, both before Christ and after Christ, all redeemed by the blood of Christ. God's people wear white clothing, symbolizing the forgiveness and righteousness that is only found in Christ, as well as wearing crowns, victory crowns, that these elders wear. The seven torches with burning flames, the sevenfold spirit of God, reminds us of the seven lamps in the temple. The temple is a theme which comes up again and again in Revelation, the Old Testament temple, and the lamp, the seven lamps. These refer to the varied ministry or work of the Spirit, the Holy Spirit. The sea of crystal, well, there are a lot of diverse views on that. What does it mean? Actually, it doesn't say it's a sea. It, it's, it's crystal. It, it looks like a sea. It could symbolize a calm sea where there will be no more danger or the, the beast arose from the sea as we see later on in Revelation. But it's calm. Maybe it symbolizes that there will be no more beast coming up from there. But as Morris Leon Morris points out it could simply represent space between us and God. A symbol conveying God's absolute holiness. Holiness in its original sense of separatedness. None of us can approach God as we are. A shining ocean barred all approach. He writes, it seems that John is emphasizing the majesty and the holiness of God. We can't be certain but it's possible. 
the four living creatures? Well, Leon Morris notes that there was an old Jewish saying dating from around 300 AD, but possibly much older. It says, The mightiest among the birds is the eagle. The mightiest among the domestic animals is the bull. The mightiest among the wild beasts is the lion. And the mightiest among all is man. This may give us a clue as to what these four different beasts, angels, are trying to communicate to us. One commentator puts it, The four forms suggest whatever is noblest, strongest, wisest and fastest amongst the animal, amongst the animate creation, animals and humanity. Nature, including man, is represented therefore before the throne, taking its part in the fulfilment of the divine will and the worship of the divine majesty. It's hard to say, but that sounds reasonable. That all of creation is worshipping God. The eyes all over these creatures, well, eyes symbolise being able to see, and God is able to see all things, and it seems that they symbolise God's ability to see everything. Out of sight is out of mind for so many of us. What people don't see, what goes on behind closed doors, other people don't see, but God sees. God sees everything. God doesn't just see the things we do, he actually knows the thoughts that are in our heads as well. And God is worshipped. Day and night, on and on, these four creatures, which represent all living creatures on earth, including humanity, Each of these living beings had six wings and their wings were covered all over with eyes, inside and out. Day after day and night after night they kept on saying, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God, the Almighty, the one who always was, who is and who is still to come. Whenever the living beings give glory and honour and thanks to the one sitting on the throne, the one who lives forever and ever. The 24 elders fall down and worship the one sitting on the throne, the one who lives forever and ever. And they lay their crowns before the throne and say, You are worthy, O Lord our God, to receive glory and honour. Father portrayed in such glory in Revelation chapter 4. We must remember that Jesus is seated at his right hand and receives the same glory and honour. In the next chapter we will see Jesus described as the lamb who was slain and yet which is alive. And yet all that applies to God the Father, all the glory that applies to God the Father also applies to Jesus. I and the Father are one, he said. He's seated at the right hand of the Father. Although we don't see through the door into heaven in terms of our everyday lives, we When we look up, we see the sky. We don't see this heavenly vision that John saw. And yet we have nevertheless got God's word to remind us this vision that John has passed on to us. And so 
we can remind ourselves of what God is like. We can remind ourselves that God is to be worshipped and honoured and glorified, to be praised and to be obeyed. Out of sight should not mean out of mind. We have God's word to bring it into our minds. So let's read. Let's read God's word. Let's remember what we have read, what we've been shown here, what Jesus has shown John to show us. And let's enter into that heavenly worship on Sunday mornings, during our devotional times. And let's remember that God doesn't just see into the future. He is in control of the future. If God weren't in control, we wouldn't be able to pray. We only pray to somebody who's able to do things, to change the future, to make things happen. We pray to God knowing that he is in control. Do we worship Jesus as being creator of all, being worthy of all honor from everything and everyone? Do we realize that our lives are there to to be revolved around him? He is not there simply to, to be focused on us. We are here. We live to bring him honor and praise. To give him glory. John Piper has often said, God is most glorified in us when we are most satisfied in him. We give him glory when we we find our joy in him. When we're looking for our joy in other things, that's not glorifying God. When we find joy in the blessings that come from him and we thank him for them, and we see his hand behind the blessings, that is enjoying his blessings, but giving glory to him. But when we turn aside from God and look for joy in other things, even good things, but not good things seen as being from the hand of God, then we're not giving glory to him. We exist to worship God, And to be blessed by God. And yet so often our lives are revolved around us. God exists to to do what we want, we often think. Just like Aladdin and his lamp. Whenever Aladdin wanted something to happen, he would rub the lamp and the genie would appear. And he would tell the genie what he wanted. And as a servant, the genie would have to just go and grant him his wishes. And too often we treat God the same. He is our servant to do what we want. But that's not how it ought to be. He is on his throne. He is worthy. We should be worshipping him in all that we do. In all of our lives. The only way we can begin to live according to God's ways is first to turn from our sin. To turn from our ungodly ways to turn from whatever we are doing that is not doing it for God even good things even charitable things 
if it's done for our pride or for our reasons, that's not giving glory to God. We need to turn from all that is not God-centered, God-glorifying, confess our sin to him, and then walk in the ways that he asks us to walk. Jesus didn't say, just come and be forgiven. He said, come and follow me. He wants us to have a change of life. He wants us to put God at the center of our lives, to worship him, to follow him. And when we turn to God, knowing that we can be forgiven because of what Jesus has done for us, he died on the cross, the punishment we deserve for our sins. He has reconciled us with the Father if we've trusted in him. He gives us a new identity in him, in Christ. He gives us a new spirit. We can't do what he wants us to do on our own. We don't have the capability or the strength or even the desire at times. But he gives us the Holy Spirit to enable us to glorify God, to worship him. We need to believe in him, trust him, follow him, and in doing so we glorify him. We worship him in all of our lives. The glimpse into heaven was a glimpse of God being honoured and worshipped and praised constantly. We don't need to be singing worship songs 24-7 in order to worship God. But we need to be doing his will. We need to be doing his will his way throughout all of our lives. We can do that at work, doing our work in a godly way. We can do it at home, serving others in a godly, humble, serving way. But we can love one another the way Christ expects us to. That is worshipping him. That is serving him. Well, we thank God that he has enabled us to come into his presence by that new and living way the blood of Jesus shed for us on the cross. In the past, in the temple, only the high priest could go in once a year on the Day of Atonement. He could go in once a year into the innermost Holy of Holies. And yet we can come into the very presence of God now because of Jesus, because he has made that that way possible for us so we can come confidently into God's presence if you haven't trusted in him before if you haven't experienced that before well you can't do it on your own but you can do it through faith in Christ the first thing to do is to simply want to turn and then to ask God for his forgiveness and ask God for his strength and he will forgive, he will enable you, he will He will open that door for you to come into his presence, to be able to worship him on earth as, it, as he is worshipped in heaven. Revelation chapter 4 gives us a glimpse of God being worshipped, God who is holy, God who is almighty, God who is creator, God who is sovereign, And we ought to 
to remember that vision and we ought to live in the light of that vision. And one day we will, if we have trusted in Jesus, we will reign with him. So our present, our current situation is not all that there is. The future is glorious. The future is glorious for God's people, for everyone and anyone who will turn to him through faith in Christ Jesus. Let's pray. Lord, we do thank you. We thank you, Lord, for your love for us. We thank you, Lord, that you have made a way possible for us to come into your presence through faith in Jesus. Lord, you're so holy. You're so perfect. You're so so glorious. And we are so imperfect and unholy. But we thank you that you have made the way possible for us to come, for our sins to be forgiven. Lord, for us to be able to to come into your presence as those who are righteous, as those who are Christ's, with the righteousness of Christ given to us as a gift. We thank you, Father, that you call us into that glorious future of worshipping you, of serving you, forever and we have been enabled to enter into that life even here and now lord help us help us to to see beyond the everyday help us to have that glimpse of heaven help us to keep remembering that knowing that we serve a glorious god a holy god an almighty god lord we ask that this would inform and guide our every thought, our every action, to your glory. In Jesus' name, amen.